mention that. Uh, what I'm talking about today is we, um, so we've been going through Jesus first, right? And Jesus first is not just a series that we're doing on Sunday morning. It's our idea for the year. And as Steve has said, it's something that we as a church can rally around, that we're placing Jesus first. That Jesus is preeminent, that he is the winner, he is primary, and Jesus is victorious. And what we want to do as a church, as, as his believers, as his people, is we want to find ways to continue to enter into his constant stream of goodness, love, and mercy that he has for us. And we've looked at a couple of ways so far. We've looked at four ways so far. We've looked at scripture, how we can read scripture and how we can take time to dedicate ourselves to focusing on God's word, to understand better who he is. And at the same time, allow the Holy Spirit, as we engage the word, we allow the Holy Spirit to engage us and speak to us. We've looked at silence and solitude, about how we can practice silence and solitude. However, in our culture, that's not something we really value because we have so many noises and distractions clinging for our attention all the time. We know this because we sell noise-canceling headphones. Psalms 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. We practice silence and solitude. We need to be still. We looked at practicing the presence of God. See, last week spoke on how we need to change the way we think that we're not going to a time with God, but we're going from time to time to time to time with God. That we incorporate the practice of always being present with Jesus and always seeing him, even in the most mundane of actions. St. Patrick said, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me. Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left. Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise. Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Christ in the eye of everyone who sees me. Christ in the ear that hears me. That in all that we're doing, no matter what it is, we can practice being in the presence of God. Last week we looked at worship. How the idea that worship is anything or anyone that we bow down to and acknowledge the greatness and the magnitude and the importance of. And how, if we're honest, there's a lot of things that we probably worship in our lives. Many of which we shouldn't. But that in, in, in worship, we're to become a living sacrifice to God and continually yield to his leading. Well, this week, what we're going to do is we're going to take a, we're going to take a little pause. We're going, to, we're going to pause for an interlude of sorts. And an interlude is an inru- inter- intervening or interruptive period, space, or event. An interlude is a time where you take time to pause and think. We take time to pause and think about what the natural outcome is of putting Jesus first. We've talked about why we put Jesus first. We've looked at four arrows that we can put in our quiver of how we can put Jesus first. But I wanted to take time this week and stop and ask the question, what happens when we put Jesus first? And just like with the ways to practice the presence of God and to enter into that stream of goodness, there's many ways we can do it. There's a few different outcomes that can happen when we place Jesus first. The first one is we become transformed. Romans 8.29 in the New Living Translation says, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. When we place Jesus first, when we practice spiritual disciplines, when we use the arrows we've been talking about, we naturally become more like Jesus. It's just what happens. Philippians 2.15 says that we become blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless 
in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world. I don't really think of myself as somebody who shines like a star. But when I follow Jesus, when I place him first, when we make Jesus first and we make him our priority, we become like him. And to be like him is to shine for his glory. We become more like Jesus and we start to do things that Jesus did. We start to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. The more we become like Jesus, the more our desires change as well. Ephesians 5.18 says, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. As we desire Jesus and as we place him first and as we become transformed, our desires happen to change. We don't desire the things that we used to. Instead, we desire Jesus and his ways and to build others up. I think we've all had the experience, sometimes more often than not, but where we have this experience where uh, somebody will ask for like a movie recommendation or a show recommendation or a book recommendation, and you go to say something. You're like, oh, you know what was a great movie? And then you remember, I have to go, wait a minute, how long ago did I watch that? Oh, wait, wait, let me think. No, don't watch that movie. Never mind. It's no good. Because our desires have changed over time as we start to seek him. As we start to desire him, our desires entirely change. I want us to, uh, we're going to look at John chapter 15. Um, If you have a Bible, you can open up. It's about that far into it. Uh, in mine, it's on page 1316. If you have numbers in your Bible, maybe that helps. John 15, verses 4 through 8. Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. They gather them to throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. So what does this teach us? I think this teaches us a couple things. One is I think that it teaches us that fruit is a byproduct of strategies and priorities. It teaches us that abiding in Jesus, which is another way of saying placing Jesus first, produces fruit in our lives. Abiding in Jesus produces fruit. The the act of making Jesus a priority means fruit will be produced in your life. It's the natural order of things. An apple tree produces apples. An orange tree produces orange. It's just the way it works. It's, it's, it's abiding in Jesus produces that result. The, the tree doesn't have to try to produce apples. Like, it doesn't sit there and argue with itself. Of, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to produce apples today. I can do this. No, it just does it. That's the way it works. It's not the goal. It's the natural outcome. It's not something to strive for. It's the result. Abiding in Jesus, placing Jesus first, doesn't mean we strive to produce fruit. It doesn't mean we strive to produce something. It's just the natural way it works, that if you spend time with him, things happen in your life. 
Galatians 5, and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I think it's a gentleness twice. Some of us need a lot of gentleness. I'm one of them. This is what's produced when we give our lives over to Jesus. When we place Jesus as priority, when we abide in him, this is what the Holy Spirit does inside of us. We get faithfulness. We get joy. We get peace. We get patience. We get kindness. We get goodness. We get faithfulness, and we get self-control. We don't earn them. We don't work for them. We just we don't strive for it. We just get it because we abide in Jesus. By, by abiding in him and placing him first and making Jesus the priority in everything that we do, we get the fruit of the Spirit. Like I said, a, an apple tree, right? If you take an apple and things work the way they're supposed to, bearing the weather that we have in Georgia, and you, you cut that apple in half and you, you put those seeds in soil and you germinate those seeds and then you move them to good ground and you water them and you take care of them, those seeds will grow into a tree and that tree will produce fruit. It's just what it does. That's what it's made to do. The things that we give ourselves to produce things inside of us. So if we want the fruit of the Spirit, if we want to abide in Jesus and have fruit, then we abide in him. If you ever want to know what the priorities are in your life, I read a book. I I hated this book. I read a book, and it said that if you look at your life and see what the results are, that'll tell you what your priorities are. And I didn't like that one bit because I want to be able to say, no, that's not my priority. My priority is whatever. Like, let's say I want to learn piano. And I'm like, Jeff, you've got to teach me piano, buddy. And Jeff's like, you're not going to be able to do it. I know you. But that's okay. <laughs> let's say I want to learn piano, right? And I'm like, I really want to learn piano. It's a priority of mine. And I say, Jeff, piano is a priority for me. It is a very important priority. You have to teach me how to play piano. And he says, of course, Absolutely. He goes, meet me at the church Friday at 7 a.m. Friday at 9 o'clock, Jeff calls me and he's like, where are you? I'm like, ah, I, I got distracted. Like, something came up. He's like, okay, Jeff's a patient guy. So he says, oh, that's fine. Meet me at the church Monday morning, 7 a.m. And I'm like, okay, this is a priority for me. Monday about 9 o'clock, Jeff calls me and says, where are you? Ah, something came up. I'm so sorry. This is not a problem. Just a patient guy. Meet me at the church Wednesday, 7 a.m. And we're going to do this. And I'm like, absolutely. Piano is a priority for me. Wednesday, 9 o'clock, Jeff calls me. Where are you? I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Something came up. Jeff's going to realize playing the piano is not a priority for me. You know what the result is? I can't play the piano. I can talk about it being a priority. I can say that it's a priority. I can, I can desire for it to be a priority. But if I don't have the result in my life of being able to play the piano, it's not a priority. I've given it no attention whatsoever. So I can't expect to be able to produce something on it other than random noises. Because it's not actually a priority. It's the same way with Jesus and the fruit of the Spirit. We can say that Jesus is a priority. We can share things on Facebook and Instagram, and we can lift our hand in church, and we can bless your heart to the neighbor, which we all know is not a good thing. (laughs) And we can say these things. But if we look at our lives and we don't see the fruit that Jesus says will be produced in us, 
then we can be honest with ourselves and say, Jesus, you're not really a priority. And that's okay. Like, it's not okay that he's, he's not a priority. It's okay to be honest with him about that. There, there's a, I did a, a, a three-week fast at the beginning of the year. And it was about week two, somewhere in the middle there. You know how you start fasting for a while, it all starts to blend together. There was this period in the middle for a couple of days where I was fasting. And I knew I was fasting because I was hungry. And I'm reading my Bible. And I'm listening to worship. And I very clearly felt like Jesus saying, what are you doing? You're not really thinking about me at all. And I was like, you're right. I'm just doing what I'm supposed to be doing because I'm fasting. And I'm expecting you to do something inside of me. But I'm not really paying attention to you at all, Lord. So he changed it up a bit. If you want to know what the priorities are in your life, look at the results. If you look at your life and you don't see that you have the fruit of the Spirit, you don't have things that would come from abiding in Jesus, then just realize he's not the priority and make changes. Here's the thing, though. This is, this is the opposite of working for it. You're not working for this. You're not, if you lack love in your life, you don't try to love harder. If you lack patience, you don't try to be more patient. Instead, we focus on Jesus. We make him first. We give ourselves over to him. We practice spiritual disciplines, and then we let him produce things inside of us. It's not something we strive for or work for at all. It is something that he does when we fix our eyes on him. One of my favorite spiritual disciplines is cleaning. And um, it's weird. I don't know. It used to happen, and I'll tell you this. It started when my wife and I would fight, and I'd get so mad I'd clean the house. And then she started picking fights with me. I'm just kidding. Uh, I love to clean. I do. I, I don't know what it is. I enjoy cleaning. I'm, I'm just, she never picks a fight with me. She's amazing. She's my Mary Poppins. She's practically perfect in every way. Um, spiritual discipline is cleaning. I love cleaning. I don't know. It gives me a sense of accomplishment. I clean because things are dirty. I clean because, uh, I don't want her to have to do it. Whatever might be the reason. But years ago, I read Practicing the Presence, as we talked about two weeks ago. And I realized I can clean as a spiritual discipline. And so I do. Cleaning the house is one of my spiritual disciplines that I enjoy doing. I put my headphones in and I clean the house. There, I am terrified of becoming prideful. It's just this thing, like, I'm constantly on guard against. I don't know why, but it's just something I'm very uh, worried about. So what do I do for that? I clean the bathroom. Because it is hard to think of yourself as something great when you're scrubbing the toilet, especially someone else's toilet. I do that so that I can say, Jesus, this is my position. I want to focus on you. I want to be so not concerned with who I am that you can speak at any moment. And again, this is important. This is not transactional. We don't tell Jesus, I'll give you 20 minutes of silence and solitude for eight ounces of love. Right? We seek him, we desire him, we make him the priority, and he changes things and gives us a greater capacity to love or to be patient or to be gentle or to be kind. We put our focus and fixate ourselves on who Jesus is. And then he produces something inside of us and changes who we are. If we put Christ as the priority, we get more than we could have ever bargained for. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at the earth and you'll get neither. 
We fix our eyes on him. And then everything changes around us. Again, because fruit is a byproduct of placing Jesus first. We place him first. We desire him. And he produces something in us. And then something else happens. Something absolutely amazing. Other people are drawn to us into that change. Because fruit attracts hungry people. Acts 2.1. I read it a few minutes ago. I'll read it again here. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house that they were staying in. And tongues like flames of fire that were divided appeared on them and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different languages as the Spirit gave them ability for speech. The disciples were gathered together and then the Spirit fell on them. What were they doing? Acts 1.14 tells us they were praying. They were practicing spiritual disciplines together and then the Spirit fell on them. First, they were individually focused on who Jesus was and the magnitude and the wonder and the might and the amazement of him. And together they were fixated on him. And then the Spirit fell on them. If we jump down to Acts 2.42, which if you're new, by the way, that's where we get our name from. Vintage 2.42, Acts 2.42. We see that this group of people were practicing spiritual disciplines together. Acts 2.42 says, uh, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Acts 2.43 says, Then fear came over everyone, and many signs and wonders were being performed through the apostles. They had, they had gathered together to practice spiritual disciplines. They were gathering together to put Jesus first, to seek him, to make him a priority, to make sure that they knew deep in their hearts that Jesus was preeminent and everything was about him. And then things started to change in their community because they were first focused on who Jesus was. Then he was doing something inside of them. And then other people around them were starting to notice that and being changed by what was happening. The early church did all sorts of things that are just absolutely amazing and mind-blowing. Feeding programs, like what we do at Abney. Feeding programs that were just mind-blowingly successful and, and, and popular. Healing and prayer ministries that were off the chart. Like, we have our nights of healing and prayer, and like if stuff like what's happened in the books of Acts started happening on our nights of healing and prayer, they just wouldn't stop. Like It would be insane. People would be lined up for miles down the street. That's what the early church was doing. They were doing things like racial reconciliation. They were laying their own lives aside and seeking the betterment of their brother and sister. Other things that are not recorded in the Bible, but that early uh, church history tells us that the church was doing. That they spoke out about, uh, against things like abortion and infanticide. But there's an article in the Gospel Coalition that talks about it. And it says, more than merely condemning abortion and infanticide, however, early Christians provided alternatives by rescuing and adopting children who were abandoned. For instance, Callistus provided refuge to abandoned children by placing them in Christian homes, and Benegas of Dijon offered nourishment and protection to abandoned children, including some with disabilities caused by unsuccessful abortions. The early church was nonstop against going against the grain of the culture. They would look at what the culture was doing, and then as they were fixated on who Jesus was, they'd go, we can't be part of that. 
But we have to do something about that. And so they would fixate on Jesus, and Jesus would provide opportunities for them to do something. They shamed the people of their day. The the early Christians were persecuted violently just because they cared about the least and the broken and the hurting. Everything that they did, the love, devotion, and care that they had, was because they placed Jesus first. Everything the early church did was a byproduct of placing Jesus first and making him a priority. They, did the, they practiced the same spiritual disciplines. They used the same arrows that we're talking about. The things that we're discussing on Sunday morning are nothing new. This is stuff that goes back to the very, very beginning. It's exactly what the early church did. And I'm convinced that if we want to be a people who see revival in our community, if we want to be a people who see revival in our homes, if we want to see our children saved, if we want to see our parents saved, if we want to see our neighbors come to Christ, then all we have to do is practice what has been working for the past 2,000 years and put Jesus first. That's it. Nothing else. No program will work. It doesn't matter. Like, I love our worship team. I love the worship at Vintage. But it is not about the worship at Vintage. I sit over here sometimes, right? And I get to look and see the most beautiful thing on the face of this earth, which is God's people declaring praise and glory and honor to the one who saved them. We place him first. And everything changes around us because he changes us. And all of a sudden, we're not concerned with the things that we used to be concerned with. We're not worried about the things that we used to be worried about. We're not stressed about what another church is doing, what another community is doing, or anything else. We're just fixated on Jesus. And if we hear that uh, church, red, blue, green, down the road, had revival and six people got saved. We're God's people who want to see God glorified and we go, praise God. Anybody been seeing the news about what's been going on up in Asbury? Have you noticed? Jesus is first. That's it. That's their focus and their priority. Is they're crying out to Jesus. They're proclaiming Jesus. They're loving Jesus. They're just seeking Jesus. And revival is breaking out amongst these students. They're bussing in other students who are like, we have to be part of this. Why? What is making everybody look and stop and take attention? They're placing Jesus first. And he's changing these students. And now they're changing others. Because he's first and he's preeminent. We look at the early church like, I was... uh, uh, you ever wonder how, where to start a story? Uh, I do that a lot. There's this guy. Um, up in Knoxville. I assume he's still there. He doesn't have a car. He is one of those guys who looks homeless. He's kind of homeless, but he looks very homeless. And he makes these signs. But they're not the signs like the end is nigh yeah, the end is nigh, or, you know, uh, Jesus hates you, or anything like that. No, 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 there's signs, it's, 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 Jesus loves you. Jesus is Lord. 
Glory to God. Things like that. And he just stands there. He doesn't bother nobody. He just stands in different spots around Knoxville, and he holds his signs. And so one day I got talking to the guy, and I just started talking to him. And I'm like, so what's up? And he's like, oh, I just love Jesus. Jesus, he's just so good to me. And he told me about how he got saved and how he's been all over the place and how he's like, I've just, I've lost everything and I've got nothing else going for me. But Jesus is just so good. He's so good. I just want everybody to know that Jesus loves them. And so he stands there and he holds these signs and he looks like John the Baptist. Like we read the Bible and we look at John the Baptist. This dude didn't shower. John the Baptist was covered in dirt and nastiness and he ate bugs and jesus says that man is so worthy of my kingdom so we look at people like that sometimes and we think man they are so radical and jesus goes yeah isn't it great we look at the early church and we see some of the things that we're doing and we think they're so radical and jesus goes yeah isn't it great Jesus wants us to be radical. He wants you to be peculiar. We are called to be a peculiar people. A people who are so fixated on Jesus and not caring about what the world has to offer that people are like, what is with you guys? You're so radical. And we go, yeah, isn't it great? And it doesn't mean we don't live in the world. The the, the Bible tells us that we're not of the world, but we still live here. We can still do things like watch the Super Bowl. Oh, so why, why do you always root for the wrong team? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I really don't care. My Cowboys are out. Whatever. I expected my Cowboys to be out. But it doesn't mean we don't do things, right? We still go to the mall. We had lunch yesterday. We do it, but whatever we're doing, we're doing it with Jesus being first, him being the focus, him being the priority. So that at any moment, if Jesus wants to interrupt your day, he has full permission to interrupt your day. So that if at any moment you're doing something, and I'm not going to jump off the stage this time, but if, he, if at any moment Jesus is doing something, he's like, hey, Gina is in need of knowing how much I love her right now. That whatever you're doing, that's secondary. And you go, absolutely, boss. That if Jesus is like, you need to call Jesse and tell him that you're praying for him. Absolutely, boss. You got it. That whatever we're doing is secondary to the fact that Jesus is primary and uh, he's our focus. And then as, as we do that, he produces fruit in us. And then as he produces fruit... Hungry people notice. And they go, hey, I'm hungry. What's going on in your life that could be going on in mine? And we go, yeah. Let me tell you about Jesus. So, uh, whoever is leading us out can come up. I'm done. I've been done since, like, this week has been one of those weeks. Like, everybody just have one of those weeks where no matter what, part of it you can't get out of your own way. And then the enemy finds things to put in place of, in front of you so you can trip over. And so yesterday I was sitting there and I was like, Jesus, I, I'm spent. Like, I'm just tired, Lord. Life has been really hard lately. 
And he says, I know. And then this morning I wake up and those same things are still there. They didn't change overnight. And my prayer this morning was, Jesus, I'm, I'm spent. I don't have anything else in me. And he goes, it's okay. We don't need to have anything in us. The emptier we get, the more useful we become. Because like we were praying, Acts 2.1, the Spirit fell on them. If you just be filled with the Spirit. So my encouragement, and it doesn't sound like it, to you today is if you are empty, good. If you are feeling like there's nothing left, good. If you are feeling like, I can't take another day of this, Jesus, good. Those moments when you're like, and I mean literally, when life is pushing you down to your knees, and you, think, you say, because we all say, you, like, you don't, you're like, <laughs> like Jesus, I swear, if one more thing happens, I am going to lose my snot. And what happens? Another friggin' thing happened. Why? Because he's in control and he says, you're fixed on me. You're focused. You, I've got you right where I want, so now we can produce some fruit. Now I can fill you to overflowing with my spirit. And a hungry world gets to eat. So we say thank you for our sufferings, Lord. Thank you for our hunger. Thank you for our brokenness. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you know exactly what I need, what we need, and what the world needs. And that as your people, as we get to come to you and empty ourselves out to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit, you do that. That as we get to be broken, we produce fruit. As we fix our eyes on you, you do something inside of us. And a hungry world gets fed. So Lord, if broken is what you require of us, then we will be a broken people. If hungry is what you require of us, then we will be a hungry people. If tired is what you require of us, then we will be a tired people that you might be glorified. That lost will see there is hope. That others who are broken, who don't know you, will know that there is healing. Lord, produce fruit in us for a hungry world to feast on your goodness. Jesus, we love you. We desire you. We ask that you fill us to overflowing. And in doing so, we see you so clearly that we pick up our cross and that we march in obedience and love. It's time of response. And the time of response means we'll have prayer teams. And it means we have uh, communion. Communion 
is to, to take the bread and remember that his body was broken for you. And to drink the blood and remember that it was spilt for your sins. Communion is not just a, a thing that we do. It's a time to commune and have fellowship with Jesus. So come up if that's what you need to do. Offering is a time to worship and say, Jesus, I, I'm tired of holding on to the fear that I don't have enough. So take it, Jesus. Or if you just need to sit and worship, do that. Come up in a little bit and close this out.